0: On each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion, the second living creature, like an ox, the third living creature, with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, full of eyes all around them, and day and night, never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, it's so easy to have our view of God to pale in comparison to our circumstances around us. Aren't we guilty of that? Right? Aren't we guilty of making our, our, our problems that we experience here bigger than God? And you come together with one another and you sing a song like this and I can, I can just see my perspective of all of these worthless things around me that are barely any problem at all fading away as the power and the magnitude of my God rightly comes to the place that is above every. Everything. Nothing is too great for him. We have a God who loves us and who is there for us. And I don't care what it is we're going through, whatever it is, God is there, and the great I am will be with us through every single thing. And as we see the vision in heaven, this is what we're going to be doing for the rest of eternity. So, The elders bowed down and worship. We're going to bow down and worship our God in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, I'm so glad we can call you Father. Great is your name and greatly to be praised. God, you know our hearts. You know how weak our perspective can be. You're not surprised by that. You're very patient with us in all of that. And thank you for these moments. We open your word, we sing songs. You give us a glimpse into heaven and you help us to see who our king is. You help us to see what side we're on. You help the problems and the fears of the world fade away in your presence. I pray that you'd be with us this morning. You'd help us open our hearts, our eyes and our minds to the great things you have for us in your word. And we say thank you because of Jesus Christ and his obedient sacrifice on our behalf. God, thank you for that. In his name alone, amen. You may be seated. Well, it's Sunday. And I have something I need to announce. Chick-fil-A is going to be open today. No, listen, listen, Chick-fil-A is going to be open today and the first hundred people who get there get free Chick-fil-A for life. What? You don't believe me? Wait, 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 hold up a second. Would this be good news though? Now, if you really believe me, though, would you, would you really just be like, meh, no, like, no, it's too good. The kids are like, no, I know that's not true, because every Sunday I ask, and I forget that it's Sunday, and then, then, like, that's what Sarah does. Sarah, my wife, always, where are we going to eat? Hey, let's go to Chick-fil-A, and I'm looking at her, like, just staring at her at the other side, like, you, and then it hits her, and this, like, doom and gloom on her face comes over, like, we can't, it's Sunday, we can't go to Chick-fil-A, but, but let, let's just, let's just bask in the hypothetical for a second. Chick-fil-A is open today and those who come get free Chick-fil-A for life. It, 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 there's something exciting about that, isn't there? There's something that's, that's good about that's That's good and that's exciting news. You take the word evangelism, you take the word evangelize, that's exactly what it is. I just presented to you wonderful news. Evangelism is this word that gets twisted into a a, a weird Christianese word that now has like a bad connotation to it. Maybe people, when they think of the word evangelize, they're thinking of the word proselytize, where you're like making and manipulating someone to become a disciple or a follower. That's not necessarily what the word evangelize. It just simply means to bring the good news, pronounce good news, proclaim good news, right? You know, sometimes good news can be subjective. I'm going to prove it right now. Michigan State won yesterday. Wait, there should be another response in here too, though. Uh, there it is. Right. Proc- <laughs> proclaiming news can be subjectively good or bad. It depends on who's getting the news, right? So uh, we all are going to rejoice with Chick-fil-A being free. We're coming to evangelism. We're coming to our third pillar, personal evangelism, and we're talking about what it means to proclaim and take awesome, wonderful, good news into the world. But we know that as people hear that news, though the response should be excitement, sometimes we hear the boos, don't we? Sometimes we hear the people who don't want to hear it. Today, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to talk about personal evangelism. Now, I want you to see a screen where I'm going to, use, I'm going to look, show you the word evangelism or evangelize. It's going to come up on the screen right here. You'll see it's the next one. Ouangelion, or the verb, or ouangelizo, a good message is what ouangelion means. Just simply a good message, right? I gave you a good message in Chick-fil-A, though you guys knew that it was never going to be true. Evangelion, good message. Then you have this verb or this action to share that good news. When it comes to Christianity, when it comes to the Bible, opening it up and bringing great and wonderful news about the message that Jesus Christ has died on the cross and rose from the dead and all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. is wonderful, great News, And God wants us sharing it. We're in our series called Blueprint. We're looking at Summit Church and we're trying to make a pronounce about, hey, this is what we think's very important. We've talked about many things, right? Having a disposition of humility. We've talked about standing on the foundation, the word of God, Jesus Christ. We've talked about authentic worship, right? Making, making God the one who is worthy of everything in our life, surrendering our life to him. We've talked about fervent <laughs> prayer, today we're going to talk about personal evangelism, that as we're standing on the word of God, Jesus Christ, there is this characteristic that should emanate from those who stand on it and live according to it. And it's a life that is going to be full of evangelizing, or let me say it this way, full of proclaiming there is good news. Simply that's it. Proclaiming there's good news, not just with the mouth, but with the entire life. So when we say personal evangelism, what do we mean? Well, let me show you this. Personal, every Christian's manner of life and words are being used to reach the lost. Every Christian's manner of life and words are being used to reach the lost. And then our theme verse for this pillar is Romans 1.16, very well-known verse. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Gospel means good news. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Notice there where he says, hey, I'm not ashamed of it because it's the power of God for salvation. Salvation implying people have a great need. They need salvation. And it is the power. It is the thing that will bring people the salvation they desperately need. I mean, think about it. What if like you were walking around with like the cure for cancer in your pocket, right? You're like, this is the power to cure cancer. Right. And you, you, you see someone coming to you and telling you about a family member that's being, their body's riddled with it and they, they want to get rid of it. And you're like, I just have it right here. Like, like they, you would be so motivated to want to be like, here it is. This is the power. Here's what you need. Paul understood that mankind has a great, deeper, spiritual, eternal need that goes beyond the cure for cancer. It goes into the soul of a person that is on its way to a condemnation, condemned already, on its way to an experience of judgment that will lead to an eternal wrath of God burning forever and ever in a place called Gehenna, a place called hell that will be having the, the wrath of God poured out. On disobedient, rebellious, sinful mankind. A great need to be saved from that. What is going to save mankind from that? It is the gospel. It is the good news. It is the salvation. And Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. It's what saved me. And I know it's what's going to save others. And so I'm going to share it and preach it. Okay, now... I know this. The word evangelism and the topic of evangelism is the easiest, simplest, most unhard, uh, most uncomplicated thing for us to do in our life, isn't it? There's nothing about sharing the gospel that is difficult. I'm looking. I'm looking for the smiles that are looking at me like he's crazy. You're crazy. Can I take a stab at something? I believe that when we're preaching through the pillars, all of them are interesting. But then it comes to this one and there's this temptation to like want to skip over it. You know, I don't think I'm going to listen to this one today. There's a temptation for me where it's like, you know, I want to do authentic worship, fervent prayer, spiritual growth, genuine love, personal evangelism. Let's not talk about that one, Right. Because then we all start feeling this weird pressure. We start thinking about all these scenarios of sharing the gospel that would be very uncomfortable. And it's that one thing that I'm just going to guess and estimate that we struggle to kind of like put in the back in the corner of our mind and say like, like, I know that's a part of my Christian life, but I don't like, don't make me focus on it and make me feel bad about where I'm missing it there. And now that's out. Maybe we can all collectively agree that, okay, like, okay, this is in a collective struggle and understanding, Personal evangelism, we're going to talk about it today. It's the whole manner of life along with the words and the intentions of the Christian for the goal of trying to bring this good news to a lost and dying world. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at four, and I'm going to say this, essential, four essential qualities of someone living a life of personal evangelism. And I, I'm totally okay with saying essential because what, I, what I'm implying by this is if these characteristics aren't, aren't part of our life, then we're not going to be reaching people with the gospel, which is our great purpose here, for essential quality. So we're going we're gonna to pay attention to these and we're going to look at what it is the scripture is trying to teach us about what our life needs to look like in order to be salt and light and a witness in a city on a hill to a lost and dying world. All right, let's jump right in. The first thing I want us to see, we're gonna be in Colossians chapter four, but before we get into any of the verses, here's the first essential quality, and I believe it has to start with this. If it doesn't start with this, the rest aren't gonna fall in line. It's this, an eager spirit within the person. First, quality of evangelism, personal evangelism in in an individual's life is that there exists within the person, the soul and the attitude of a person of an eager spirit to want to evangelize has to start there. You're going to see in these verses, the spirit of Paul, and it's going to be very clear. Paul was very eager and motivated to want to share the gospel. So let's, let's, together, we're, we're doing this together, stop and, and look at your own heart. Do I see within me an eagerness to want to see others experience the gospel through my life? An eagerness, a motivation, an, an excitement there. Is that there? Or is there something else there? I, I think there's this. Within us, and here gauge yourself, there's one of three things. When it comes to evangelism, when it comes to taking the mission of the Lord to take the gospel out into the world and make disciples. One of three things are existing in our hearts. Either one, we just totally ignore it. There's apathy there. I don't even care about this. Totally ignore it. Two, totally avoid it. I know it's important. I know it's a part of it, but I spend most of my time distracting myself from the very fact that this is a responsibility over my life. Ignoring it, avoiding it, And the only one I can think of is seeking it, embodying this eager spirit, looking to God and asking and wanting to have within me a desire to want to be used by God for the sake of the gospel. The third one's where we all should be, but I know that maybe somewhere we bounce in between the first and the second. The first one's really hard to come out of because we feel our life like I just don't care. I hope none of you are there. None of us are there. I just don't care. That's not a good sign. I think it's more realistic to expect the believer to struggle with avoiding the responsibility, knowing it's important, knowing it should be uh, a responsibility, but avoiding it. All right, are we, are we checking our own hearts? Are we there? Our goal is to get to seeking it first and first, first and foremost. Quality of the heart is an eager spirit to reach the world. With the gospel. I want to give you three things. Three things that as we're sitting here and you're like, you know what? Immediately, as soon as you say eager spirit, I know that's not me, but I want to have an eager spirit. Three things that will help motivate us into an eager spirit. And the first one is this, the edict over our lives. Jesus Christ, God is the one who came into earth and he gave the edict. He gave the command to share the gospel there is this call from the king and this mandate over our life that says each and every person is responsible to go out into all the world and preach the good news of Jesus. The command should be motivating, right? But there's not just a command there. How about this? There's also something else in our life that can motivate us and bring us into that place where we have an eager spirit, not an apathetic one, or one that's running from it. So the edict that God gave, but then this, our own empathy. Think about this. Think about what God has done for you. as what he's done for us. Think about the time when God met you, how you experienced it, who you experienced it from, what mouth you heard it from when the gospel started invading your life and God through the Holy Spirit started drawing you to him. Right And you felt the pull on your life, and then God started awakening your your mind and your eyes to the reality of the joy and the goodness and the purpose that 's in Jesus Christ, and nothing else, and how good it was, and how good it is to experience the mercy of the lord that 's new every single morning to to know that, as we read from first peter that that our salvation has an inheritance that 's in heaven. Kept for us being guarded by God's power through faith. Reserved in heaven for you. And the goodness of having your sins forgiven. Cast as far as the east is from the west. Not covered. Not God just like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with this. But like totally, 100% forgiven. Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Becoming sin. A punishment for sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. A free gift of God that says, hey, here it is. Take it, it's free. I've done the work for you, the work that you couldn't do. You were in a lost and helpless state, and here it is. I'm giving it to you because why of my great love for you. Look at what I've done for you, right? What's motivating this eager spirit that I need to have? One, the command of God. I I feel this burning, urgent command of God over my life, this edict that says, go. Into the world and preach the gospel, but it's not just the edict that's motivating this eager spirit. It's also the empathy. It's also the realization of what I have. I want others to experience. Right, man, you try that. You try that number two spicy chicken sandwich. I take the pickle off, man. You, you go, man, I want others to experience it. I'm like shoving it in their mouth, like it's so good. <laughs> try it. I got no problem doing that, right? Got no problem talking about things that I love and that's exciting for me, which is the third thing that helps motivate an eager spirit is the excitement that comes along with the gospel, right? So, so one, the excitement of sharing the gospel with someone and, see, and seeing it begin to land, Even if it doesn't sprout, knowing that I'm doing my job of spreading the seed, right? God's going to come along in water. He's going to give the increase. But I have this duty to cast the seed onto the soil, knowing that God knows whose are his and his sheep hear his voice and that scattering the seed, it will hit good soil and it will sprout. I may not see it, but I know that the seed is landing on soil and there's excitement there, right? Maybe you've never experienced it. I'll tell you this your soul will connect with this great cosmic purpose and things will start to make sense. That nihilism that you struggle with, that existential crisis that you're going through fades away in the light of the purpose of human beings and their great cosmic purpose of sharing the gospel. Wow, this fits. This makes sense. This is exciting. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and this is what I'm here for. I'm not questioning who I am and why I exist, this is it. I've experienced it, and now I want others to experience it. And I realize God wants to use me to get it to them like he used others to get it to me. right, so what's motivating an eager spirit that we must have? A command from the king of heaven who created the heavens and the earth, an empathy for others who are in a lost state that we once were, and then excitement. Not only the excitement, of, of seeing someone hear and respond and the seed begin to land, but the excitement of the message itself. I mean, we can get excited, right? We get excited about temporal things here. We can get excited about things that, that like we can all rate to on a human level that are temporary, but then fade away. Like we, we know what it's like to get excited. But when you think about the gospel message what is it about the good news of god and the scripture that's boring and unexcitement i can't find it the greatest story ever told, the poetic nature and artistry of God to give to us this wonderful picture that he has accumulated and made over thousands of years since the beginning of the time on many different countries and in different continents with many different people that he was using at certain times to over time to reveal this wonderful mystery from the very beginning of God's purpose and relationship with man. And then here we are, thousands of years later, we're born into this world, we begin to experience it, we begin to be like, what am I here for? And then all of a sudden our hearts are connected with this wonderful, beautiful message Just so exciting. And we see who we are and who God is and who we're meant to be, and then we see what Jesus has done for us. And not only just the basic message of the good news of Jesus, but the, the overwhelming unimaginable, supernatural possibility of this message and the way that it's come about so th- through God's people, the, J- the Jewish nation, through Israel, over hundreds of years, wandering in the wilderness, and then in Kings, in the time of Judges, and why all of this? All of this begins to ignite and become exciting, right? So the message itself is exciting. We want to share it. We should want to share it, right? So there's an edict over our lives, God, a command from the King, go and preach the good news, right? Tell others. Empathize with their lost condition. And don't get distracted by the excitement that comes from the very message that you're delivering. There's great fulfillment and purpose and wonder in what God's calling us to do. So, as we're talking about essential qualities for a life that would exude personal evangelism, it has to start with an eager spirit. And I want encourage us all then together, collectively, be like, you know what, I want, God, I want an eager spirit. I can see where I'm avoiding it, ignoring it. I want to be seeking it. God, help me have this eager spirit that needs to well up in me, that will motivate me to action. Because we can make a lot of excuses not to let this be a driving motivator of our life, right? If we're talking about personal evangelism. We're not talking about friendship evangelism necessarily, like right? So you see these, these, these passive forms of evangelism, or then you see this overemphasis on just an active go Friday night, knock on doors, pass out tracks. When we say personal evangelism, it's more than a track, a sermon, or invitation. It is the interaction with a neighbor as you pull up on the driveway, the 30 minutes on that train beside a stranger, the conversations you have with your stylist as you're getting your hair done, the parent-teacher meetings, the attitude of the officer when he's pulled you over, every aisle of the grocery store, the response to your toddler when they've written all over the walls, or the response to your teenager when they've just punched through the walls. Preaching and proclaiming the gospel is more than speech. It's behavior attitude, fruit, facial expressions, responses, and everything that the world hears and sees from our lives, it is 100% 24/7 personal all the time. Active and passive evangelism needs to be the mission of our life. Which by the way, you ever if you've ever been on a mission trip, you ever experienced this where it's like super easy to share the gospel, like in a super overt way when you're on a missions trip. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Shake, if, if you know what I'm talking about, you've experienced like that, shake your head. I wanna see. Okay, a few people. If you haven't experienced that, know that if you were to go on a missions trip, something happens to where it's like, wow, we, we're here and I'm saying and I'm doing things and presenting the gospel in a way that I've never experienced, with boldness that I've never experienced. But then we come back, home. And then we start wondering, why is it so hard to do what I did there here? Well, there's many different reasons, but maybe it should start with this. One, you've gone on a mission where the mission is clear and you know why you're there and what there is to get done within a certain amount of time. And that exposes that our life then that we come back to and integrate back into has never been a mission It's never been intentionally looked at every single day of my life as a part of that mission. It should be no different. An intentional, my life and my words and my interactions and my jobs and every experience and every opportunity is part of the mission and helping me accomplish the mission that I say is over my life. And now my life will be the mission for God, the great commission to take it out into the world. And so now I'm ready and I'm willing and I'm eager. God, use me. Our personal evangelism needs to start with an eager spirit. Now, let me show you Paul's eager spirit, and he's going to give us some practical things to include in our life to accomplish this mission of evangelism. You ready? Colossians chapter 4, turn there with me. Look in verse 2. The first thing is this constant prayer, constant, steadfast prayer. Didn't we just talk about fervent prayer last week? Actually, our theme verse for fervent prayer is verse 2, where he says this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then he's going to say this. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And then he says this, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Ooh, Paul, the example, Paul, the example of evangelism, and one of the first things that he is going to not only command, but also show that he believes is important in his life for people hearing the gospel and responding to it is first and foremost, prayer. How often do we pray and ask God, give me opportunities to share? Open the door, God. Please use me. Or God, I got specific people in my life that I work alongside, that I live alongside. I don't don't know what to do. I just know I want them to have the gospel and to, to, to know it. Open a door and give me an opportunity to share it. See, that's the eager spirit. And this is what Paul is exuding and exemplifying in this moment. He commands, continue steadfastly in prayer, which means don't give up in it because life is gonna make you wanna give. There's gonna be a temptation where you wanna give up in prayer. He says this, be watchful, which means stay awake in it. How? With thanksgiving, something about constantly being thankful and remembering what God's done for you and that he's worthy and there's always a reason to be thankful. We'll guard your prayers and then he personally asks for prayer. What does he say? At the same time. So in your, in my, I'm giving you a command to pray. Pray fervently. This was last week. Paul saying pray fervently to the Colossians. But he says, but at the same time, when you, when you go and you fulfill this command of praying, include me in it. And how do I want you to pray for me? Because he believes it. He says this, pray for me, pray for us. Probably talking about Timothy, maybe Silas alongside of him. He says this, pray for us at the same time that god may open to us a door a door in scriptures representing an opportunity paul realizing he is dependent on god to open the doors that he can't open to us a door for what for the word the logos but but he clarifies the word he's talking about to declare what the mystery of Christ. Mystery is an interesting word. you see that word mis- mystery? Here's what you need to think of. Something that was not clear over the past that has now been made clear in Jesus. The mystery of what? The mystery of Christ himself. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name, right? Master, Savior, Jesus, let all heaven and earth proclaim something about Jesus. Something about Jesus Christ that is different than all others. The mystery of Christ being the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is what you're looking for. Jesus is why you exist. Jesus explains who you are. Jesus is what your soul is longing for. Whatever every other experience... Of life, what every effort and anticipation of the weekend to try to experience some type of euphoric pleasure and joy is wrapped up in, it's Jesus. And Paul's saying, I want people to know this. And he's in prison because he's been preaching the gospel. Now he's in prison for it. And he realized that his hands are tied and he can't go out freely and just like expel the gospel as freely as he would like to. So he knows he's dependent now on God to open the doors for him. So he prays. It says, God, Colossians Summit, pray for me that God would open the door that we can preach the word and declare the mystery of Christ. Look what he says here. He says, actually this message that I'm so eager to preach is why I'm in prison, on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear I want to make it clear. I want people to understand this. And then he says this, which is how I ought to speak? Remember that because he's going to conclude this section with that very theme. We learned in James that the tongue can be a, a fire that sets of course the whole nature of life. We bless God, we curse God. There's a way in which we should be speaking. And there not only is a, a way in which we should be speaking, there is a thing we should be speaking we should be speaking the gospel of Christ. And then we're gonna learn here in just a second, there's a way in which we should be speaking it to make our personal evangelism exactly what it needs to be. Can can I show you really quick? I I want you to see a little bit more of Paul's heart. Turn to 1 Corinthians 9 with me real quick. We're just gonna read real quick and then we're gonna move on. We got two more points that I need to make but I want you to see Paul's heart here. First Corinthians chapter nine. I'm just gonna lead us into our next point because we're gonna talk about the manner of life and how our behavior, our conduct, how we live our life, what we choose to do and how we choose to live it is very integral to preaching the gospel because people are listening, people are watching. First Corinthians nine Verse 15, look what Paul says. Paul says, I have made no use of any of these rights, talking about the freedom and the rights that he has in Jesus, being free from the law and now under faith, not held by any condemnation of the law, he has freedom, but look at his attitude. I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting, particularly that he's suffering for Jesus. Look what he says here in verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. But then he says this, verse 17. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. Making the point like, man, if I'm motivated and I I do this because I want to and I'm excited about it, there's a reward in that. But look what he says. Even if I'm not motivated and excited to bring this message, he says this. Even if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. Which is why I said one of the ways that will help motivate an eager spirit is the edict, the command and the responsibility of stewardship with this message that God has given us, 2 Corinthians, in jars of clay. God has taken this profound message and he's put it in us and we have the responsibility to share it. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. And look what he says here. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Talking about lost people to Jesus. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who were under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Totally diametrically opposed to the spirit that is going on, sadly, even in the church today of us demanding and fighting for our rights. All at possibly the expense of people seeing their need for Jesus, right? Because they need to look at our life and see that something's different, that you know what? Even when my rights and freedoms are being stripped from me, I still have a joy that supersedes any of that. That's what people need to see because people are eking and striving and clawing and fighting for a temporal pleasure that will solve the eternal void. And so we fight for our rights, the spirit of worldliness the Christian lays down their rights because they realize what they have is fully realized in Jesus Christ and it's in heaven waiting for them and they're willing to lose anything on planet earth if it would open someone's eyes to their great need for Jesus. And Paul was so motivated and eager for people to see that. He exercised no use of his rights but laid them all down and became a servant to everyone around him, co-workers, neighbors, political figures, people on the other political side of the line, church, brothers and sisters, enemies, whoever it may be. I want them to see and hear the gospel. So if we go back to Colossians four, look what he says. The next essential quality for personal evangelism is this, not only an eager spirit, not only constant prayer, dependent on God to open the door for an opportunity, but this, a wise walk toward outsiders. Look what he says. Walk in wisdom, it's a command, it's an imperative. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, redeeming the time. Now let's work backwards with that. Or making the best use of the time. Other translations say, let's walk backwards. Making the best use of the time. This is the implication. Time is short and time is wrong. There's something going on within time that is wrong. Paul says elsewhere that the times are evil. So so how can I redeem the fact that time is short? I can't buy any more of it. I only have so much time on planet Earth. I don't even know when my clock's going to run out. How do I make the best use of it? And also this, how, how do I redeem it so that the time that is experienced wouldn't just be evil and for rebellious mankind? Okay, so let's go backwards a little bit more. He says... Redeeming the time, and then if you go backwards a little bit more, he says, toward outsiders. So there's this, there's this emphasis on those who are lost that are being included in this making the best use of the time in the individual's life. There's something that they're doing toward this audience, unbelievers, outsiders, and what is it that they're doing to make best use of the time? It's this, the believer, the Christian, is walking in wisdom toward outsiders, and in doing that, they're making best use of the time they have on planet Earth, redeeming it. Now, very general, very nuanced, you're right to think, well, what does it mean to walk in wisdom? The simplest way I could put it is this. You have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you are growing spiritually and being conformed to the image of Jesus. That only comes from you growing in the knowledge and the grace of Jesus, as Peter says. That you yourself care about your relationship with Jesus and you, you care about putting off the old man and putting on the new. And you care about being salt and light here on this earth. And your mind is in this constant readiness and this, this preparedness. And it's, it's constantly understanding and knowing that my life today is not about, I'm just going to go into work. I'm going to clock out and unclock out and think about what I'm going to have for dinner. It's so much deeper and more profound from that. And the smallest little experiences are a part of this great cosmic purpose of helping people see Jesus. So when I'm clocking into work today, or when I'm going out into the grocery store, people are watching, outsiders are watching. God has purposefully put certain unbelievers around me in my life so they can see my life. And so I'm going to live not only with an eager spirit and constantly praying for opportunities, but I'm going to take those opportunities. I'm gonna make sure that people see that Jesus is real because when they see me, they see that Jesus is real and so my behavior matters. That's why it's a problem to relegate your evangelism to like something that the church does collectively on a Friday night and I go and do it and the rest of the week I feel better that I, you know, I did my part. No, your whole life is personal evangelism. The whole life is it because we realize the whole life is a mission and I'm praying and asking for God to give me opportunities. I remember feeling so overwhelmed when I was in college at the job that I worked about 30 hours a weekend that I wanted to share the gospel with people. I was in West Virginia. And when i go back home for, uh, for, for summer break or Christmas break, I'd work at, at the Cracker Barrel down there. And I'd work at the Cracker Barrel in West Virginia as a waiter, right? And I worked around a lot of employees. But I just remember being like, God, I just, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, but I want to share the gospel with these people so bad. So he brought me to Colossians chapter four and he motivated me. And then you just got to start praying for opportunities. And you know what happened over four years? I can tell you this, this is the glory of God. And then I'm going to tell you a story about how I screwed it up. This is the glory of God that I over four years, simply just praying and trusting God to get opportunities and being willing and eager to use them when he gave them, I was able to share the overt mystery of Jesus with every single person in both West Virginia and South Carolina. God gave me those opportunities. And I stand back and I look at him, I'm like, man, God is awesome. And he proves himself true. He opens the door. And I had responses from people. Some were good. Some were very like, I don't care. Some were like, I'm getting in your face. I say it to me again. I'll punch you in the face. But God was good through them all. I remember a 19 year old boy. I don't know anything. I don't know anything, I'm weak, I'm young. There's so much I've gotta learn. One day in work, busy day, people are going back and forth. They've been at Cracker Barrel Manus they are constantly coming out. I'm behind the scenes. My manager, Rich, I mean, he says, come here. He pulls me to a side. He says, get in my office, get in my office. And I'm like, what is going on? They so sit down. I sit down and I'm like, what is he doing? I'm like, I don't know what I've done. I've been, I don't know what I've done. He's not saying anything, never pulled me in the office. It's a busy shift, pulls me off, and he tells me to sit down. And then he falls in his chair, puts his hands in his head, and he says this, my wife's leaving me, what do I do? In the moment, I'm like, why is he telling me this? I'm a 19-year-old boy. And then the spirit of God said, you know exactly why he's telling you this because you've been salt and light this whole time to him. And you've been praying for opportunities to share the gospel. Here it is, share the gospel. I said, well, I'm not married. I don't know what you should do. But here's what I do know. And with open ears, as he looked at me with the tears in his eye, I could share the gospel the whole time. I remember one time, the cook behind, who I never was able to have any time alone with. I'm like, God, I don't, I want to share the gospel with him, but I don't know how to. He's always behind cooking. There's no opportunity. Please give me an opportunity. It was like that week, I get a shoulder tap late at night. And he's like, man, I don't have a ride. You take me home? That dude's never asked me for a ride. But you know what God was saying in the back of my mind? You better take this opportunity. And so we do. We talked about the gospel the whole time through. Not because there's something brave or bold within me. I was terrified. But it's the goodness of God to make my life. Remember one time? And here's the bad story. So I want you to not leave thinking that Jasper's good. I want you to see how God can use us, but also see where we mess it up and God's merciful. Got to work real early, six o'clock in the morning. I was doing my normal prayer. God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel. I went into the early shift that I'm never supposed to go into, but they called me in and I said yes to it. I get my pancakes and I go in early enough, so I sit there and eat my beautiful, wonderful pancakes. Pancakes. And I prayed, I said, God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel with someone that I haven't been able to talk to yet. And as soon as I opened my eyes, at the very corner back end of the, uh, uh, the, uh, the lunchroom, I was sitting away, trying to be away from everyone, totally empty, all of a sudden, this prep cook, older lady walked in who I'd always seen and never had an opportunity with. She came in with food. It's like six o'clock in the morning. And it's like she was a robot, came all the way to the back, and she sat right in front of me, With her food. After I had just opened my eyes and prayed and asked for an opportunity. And you know what I did the whole time? I was too tired and I sat there and I talked about I don't even know what the whole time and felt horribly guilty after that. And you know what? There's grace for that. But know this God is giving opportunities, He wants us praying for them and He wants us taking them when it comes. But we're not gonna do it perfectly. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Make your life something that people are attracted to where people realize there's something different about that person. I'm like a moth to a flame, which brings us to the very last essential characteristic. Eager spirit, right? Constant prayer. A wise walk towards those who do not know Jesus, who need to see that it's real in your life. The last thing is this, proper speech. Remember Paul said that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to to speak. Look what he says here about the speech. Notice there's a command to pray, there's a command to walk, but there's not a command to talk. It's assumed that you will talk. So he just says this. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. What is he saying here about our mouth? Our mouth is very powerful, We already have the command to talk, so we know we got to use it to share the gospel. But there's a tone and a way in which our tone and our attitude and our speech should always be no excuses. And he says this, always gracious. Filled with grace. And he says this, seasoned with salt. When you think about grace, you're thinking about this. You're talking to someone who doesn't know the mystery of Christ and maybe they're saying things that like, just make you, just have, you feel like I have to bite my tongue. They're saying things that are untrue. And maybe they're even making blasphemies and curse to the God that they do not know. And I want them to see it. How am I responding when I'm getting mockery? I'm facing the lies. I'm facing anything. And I have all manner of temptations and ways in which that I want to speak in those moments. I want to be right. I want to win the debate. Always gracious. And then he says this. Seasoned with salt. If you look back in old rabbi teachings about salt, they always considered salt to be in accordance with wisdom, right? So maybe maybe he's mentioning that your speech needs to always be inten- needs to be intentionally wise just like your walk does. But I think salt is a little bit far more reaching here. He wants our speech to be attractive. He wants it to be such a way that people actually want to talk. They want to be around us. It's that harmless as a dove, but wise and shrewd as a serpent. That we're speaking in such a way that, that people are drawn to what we're saying and then more importantly, how we're saying it. Like, people can tell, like God's, we're not robots. People have spirit. They can tell when you're just like, I'm annoyed with you. I'd rather be somewhere else and I don't like what you're saying. And maybe your voice in some way isn't controlled and you're just communicating without trying to something different than what you want to communicate to someone, Right? but the Christian is supposed to be in the place where they're being intentional with their life and then intentional with their speech. Always gracious, seasoned with salt. And then he says this, so that you may know how you ought to answer each man. Or in other words, so that you can know at the end of the day, when you lay your head down on the pillow, that you said the right thing and you said it the right way. There is no condemnation and no guilty conscience that's gonna come along with you having your speech being always gracious, seasoned with salt but we know what it feels like to use our mouth in such a way that brings guilt and regret and conviction, don't we? Wait, man, I said the right thing, but I'm realizing God's convicted me in the way that I said it. My life is a life of personal evangelism that God wants to take the whole manner of life and everything that I say, and he wants to use it in a certain way to accomplish this great mission, and it goes beyond, alongside, and beyond intentional moments where I'm going out for the mission to overtly share the gospel, but also want that mission to permeate my life. And I want God to use me. So let's review. I believe it has to start with an eager spirit. Some of us, we need to start there. We've ignored this our whole life or we've avoided it. It's time to let it in and start trusting God. Despite the fear, I have this command over my life I want God to use me, God. Maybe we start, God, give me this eager spirit. Motivate me with empathy and the command and the excitement, use me. And then you start there and you wait on the Lord to open the doors that you can't. And you begin praying constantly for the people around you, trusting God to give you the opportunities, trusting God to open the doors, trusting that the spirit's gonna work on your heart when the door opens and he's gonna give you the words. You just trust God. You pray You desire, you stay ready, and you're willing, and you live your life in that constant readiness. Like Peter says, be ready always to give a defense to the person who asks you for the reason of the hope that's in you. But then Peter says this, yet do it with gentleness and patience. Think about what Peter Peter just admitted this whole thing right? You're living your life in such a way that people are going to ask you what's different about you because you're walking in wisdom. And then when you open your mouth, it's gentle, Peter says, and then Paul says, gracious, season with salt. People are going to be ready for the gospel and you share it. Tell them about the mystery of Christ. Tell them that this is what they're looking for. Tell them that this is what they need. Cast that seed and trust God with it. And God will use his church to be a city on the hill and salt and light everywhere they go. Let's pray. Father, your church is before you. We've heard your message. And I think with my brothers and sisters, we all can admit and say to you, confess to you, man. We, sometimes we just don't know what we're doing and what to do. We daydream and we fantasize about you using us for the gospel. Maybe some of us have never even been there, where we've desired it. Either way, we're in, a, we're in a place where it feels like sometimes we're facing a huge, huge mountain that we gotta climb, or a giant, and there's a lot of fear in the world, and we're so tempted to be ashamed of your gospel. God, would you please shower us with mercy, be patient with us, but you be, begin to stir within your people This calling and this purpose for why you've left us on planet Earth as strangers and foreigners in a strange land. Though we're not at home in heaven, we're here for a purpose, and that's to share the good news, to evangelize. So, God, well within us, a spirit that's willing, motivate us to pray. You got to open doors. Help us with our walk and help us with our speech. Sometimes it feels like they're so out of control. And use us, God, mightily to share people with the love that you've given us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.